Let's just start with prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this evening. Uh, thank you for your word and uh, for the body of Christ and for the opportunity and freedom to gather together to study your word, uh, to grow in the knowledge of you and of your son. And I pray that your spirit would be with us and that you give us ears to hear and eyes to see and that uh, our hearts would be uh, attentive to your word and that we'd uh, grow in the knowledge uh, more and more of you and your son and uh, all that you've accomplished through through him and uh, the, the good news of salvation uh, that uh, we have in your son. And so uh, we thank you for all these things and I pray that they be all to uh, your glory. We pray in your son's name. Amen. All right, so we've been looking at Paul and the law, and we're just uh, finishing that up and see if we can finish up tonight, but I've been a very bad judge of those things, and we've had to do some review in other classes. So, uh, But we'll be working our way to Romans 7. Uh, in some things, we won't be able to uh, review too much, uh, but the uh, classes are online uh, if you're uh, interested in getting a little more of the background and uh, detail. And here, in, beginning with Romans 5, uh, Paul's been uh, arguing uh, pretty much since getting into the, the body and the heart of his letter uh, that uh, he's uh, eager and ready and willing to proclaim the gospel. Uh, and the reason for that is that it's the gospel, the good news, that's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, uh, to both a Jew uh, and a Greek. And, uh, and it's all by faith, from faith to faith. Uh, my righteous one shall live by faith. And so he set out to show the universal sinfulness uh, and guilt uh, of all mankind, uh, both uh, Jew and Gentile, uh, starting with the Gentile and then uh, working toward the Jew as well, uh, as uh, Eric has been teaching and preaching along. Uh, and then uh, he, he got to the, the, the heart of the gospel uh, and showed that it's, uh, because everyone's sinful, everyone's guilty, Jew and Gentile, then it's not by the law as law covenant, uh, the, the Torah, uh, that brought a curse on those who disobeyed, but it's only through faith in uh, Jesus Christ, uh, in uh, his uh, finished work. Uh, and then he, he showed also through Abraham, just illustrating that, that it, there's no boasting, it's all by faith, uh, for both Jew and Gentile, and just showing that uh, with Abraham and with David, uh, that Abraham was justified by faith even before he received uh, circumcision. Uh, and so he concludes uh, at the end of chapter, uh, chapter 4. Uh, so uh, verse 22, uh, that is why, uh, just after he's shown that Abraham believed and held fast to God's promises, even though for him and Sarah, it looked like they couldn't even have a child, humanly speaking. God, God had to intervene. Uh, that is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who is delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. And so these things were written for, for us too. And a lot of times you'll say that, even talking about the law, the Torah, where we see these 
negative, uh, sometimes more negative stances toward the Torah when it comes to the law covenant that brings a curse. Uh, but when it comes to the Torah, is scripture, uh, is prophecy, is wisdom that, that pointed forward to these things in the gospel, uh, Paul will say things like, it was written for, for our sake. Uh, we're, we're instructed by this. God didn't write this down uh, for, uh, for Abraham. He told Abraham, uh, credit to him as righteousness in his day. But uh, the Torah is uh, written uh, in Moses' time with Joshua and such, uh, and then passed down to, to believers uh, following. It was written for, for our sake. Yeah, Dan. In my version, it's the uh, it's the New American Standard. Yeah. That last verse of chapter four, it says, "He who was delivered over because of our transgression, transgressions, and was raised because of our justification." Now, I know you said for our justification. Ah, I see. Yeah. And I, I have it crossed off because I think maybe Eric or Bob, when they were preaching maybe said in their version the, the proper the proper word to use there is for our justification. I don't know if that matters. It yeah. makes a difference. Yeah, I don't remember. I don't remember. I, I know Eric has dealt with uh, passages like that. Uh, in the Greek text, uh, who uh, was, uh, I mean, uh, given given over, given along, uh, different ways we express it, like in, in English, about, uh, uh, you could even say like on account of, so four, you know, similar a similar idea that uh, kind of like the the interest of, uh, but you know, it's it's uh, it's a reason on on account of our uh, trespasses uh, and raised uh, on account of or for uh, our uh, our justification, and so uh, in it, I mean, if you just look at the 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 context, I, I think it's pretty clear just. Uh, the, this is uh, this was the uh, the uh, intent or the the interest for which he was uh, he was given over for for our transgressions that uh, we couldn't bear them uh, we couldn't we couldn't bear God's uh, God's wrath uh, none of humanity could and so uh, God gave his his son uh, son over uh, for uh, for our uh, transgressions and, and he was raised for our justification, showing that he's the righteous one who is uh, who is vindicated. And so, uh, you know, there, there's sometimes sometimes it can get a little bit apples and oranges. You know, trying to find the the exact uh, exact best word to to make it smooth English. Yeah, because it just almost sounded like because we were justified, Jesus was raised. He was raised for our justification. Makes that makes much more yeah, yeah. sense to me. I don't know. No, I, I, I think that's a good good observation. Shows the difficulty. Uh, I forget the Latin expression, uh, but uh, translators traitors <laughs> is an old like Latin expression that I remember from uh, Daniel Wallace <laughs> because. It's tough to be a translator because you know they're they're trying trying to find the best way to render it, and sometimes uh, exact nuance. There maybe a couple ways, and maybe one will uh, read a little more clearly. Uh, but so here, now having been justified, now we get to uh, the implications of our justification. Uh, it doesn't stop at uh, okay. He was, he was given over for our sins. He bore our condemnation and then was raised for our justification, showing that he was vindicated. He, he was the righteous one, the, the, the suffering and righteous servant who bore 
our sins. Uh, and in that, we're identified with, with him, uh, both in, uh, in dying and, and being raised again. And so uh, God uh, reckons uh, his death is, is our death, and uh, his, his resurrection is, is our resurrection. Uh, and so here, and we're, we're going to move kind, try and move uh, quickly through uh, chapters 5 and 6, because it's really chapter 7 that we want to focus on, uh, but set some of the context. And here, though, okay, what now? We're, we're justified. God reckons us as, as righteous in his son, as, as, if, as if not only did we not break the law and bring guilt and condemnation upon ourselves, uh, and the, the punishment of death that we deserved, but as if we had kept the law. We're, we're, God reckons us as righteous in, in his son. Uh, his righteousness is, is imputed uh, to us. And so in light of that, what, what now? Is, is it by works now? Uh, how, how, how do we know that we're going to be saved uh, with God's coming wrath? How do we know that we're going to be able to stand before God at the, the end of times? And so it's to this uh, that Paul turns and starts to uh, show from chapters 5 uh, to, to 8 just the, the hope that we have. Uh, we have. We have an eternal uh, hope. And so just notice, uh, we'll, we'll touch on a couple of these verses because we dealt with this more last week. Therefore, since we, or more literally, therefore, having been justified by faith, so in light of this circumstance, now he's going to make his point. Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So now, in light of our justification uh, with with God, being, being reckoned, Righteous, not not guilty, uh, be before God as if we uh, as if we had kept the law and, and hadn't even broken it. We have peace. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him also we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And so we have access or entrance by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And so now. Not only were we justified by grace alone, through faith alone, now we stand in this grace. We have entrance. This is where we stand. This is the ground that we stand on uh, and why uh, we're going to see we have hope. Uh, this is why we have hope that we're not going to come under God's condemnation. We're not going to come under his wrath, but we're going to be saved from all these things. Uh, and the God who has justified us in his son will also sanctify us and ultimately glorify us, and we'll come into the full possession of the sons of God, heirs to all the blessings of salvation and promise and the new heavens and the new earth. And it's in this grace, uh, now in light of our justification, we have peace with God, uh, and through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we now now stand, by, by faith, trusting that the God who has justified us, he's going to work out the rest of our salvation too. It's, it's, uh, it's all, all of God. Uh, we, uh, we, don't, uh, we don't really contribute, uh, contribute anything. 
And then it's on that basis when you get exhortations uh, like in Philippians, we'll, we'll see some. But work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is a God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Knowing that God's at work, now we can, we can listen and, and heed what Paul says. Work out your salvation with, with fear, fear and trembling. Uh, to, to stand uh, together and stand fast uh, in the gospel. Uh, to flee from idolatry. These things only make sense in light of what God uh, has done in his son and uh, this justification, uh, this peace that we have with God as a result, uh, and this entrance by faith into the grace in which uh, we stand. It's it's all uh, from faith to faith, from beginning to end. It's all by, by, well, by grace through, uh, through faith. And so, uh, he says, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Looking to the future glory uh, when God's promises in salvation are complete. And later in chapter 8, he's going he's to get back to this uh, and talk about uh, that the, the whole creation groans, waiting basically to come into possession of the glory of the sons of God. God's going to glorify uh, his his people, And so he's going to echo all the way back when he gets to uh, chapter 8. And so in light of these things, uh, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Uh, there are also a couple more things that uh, uh, this, uh, this hope in the future glory of God. Uh, we also have a few more things to rejoice or uh, boast over. Uh, keep reading in verse 3. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. We rejoice in our present sufferings in this life, not in and of themselves, but in light of God's grace, in light of the justification that we have in the faith and hope uh, that God, the God who has justified us, will sanctify us and glorify us. We have reason to rejoice in our sufferings. Uh, and he even gives more, more reason uh, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, our present sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, or, or proven character, showing the, the, the genuineness uh, of our faith. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. And so he starts with, Hope in the glory of God, uh, rejoicing in that, rejoicing in our present sufferings. Uh, and because God will use our sufferings for our good uh, to produce endurance uh, and proven, uh, proven character, uh, showing that it's a divinely wrought uh, faith uh, that, that God has given us. Uh, and character produces hope, uh, tr- trusting in, in God, uh, seeing that he's, uh, he's working these things out to our good. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love, maybe a little more literally, uh, is poured into our hearts through uh, the Holy Spirit. Uh, and so that's why we have hope uh, and confidence. Uh, and Paul will uh, get back to this, this uh, work of the, of the Spirit. But here's the new covenant promises and uh, in blessings as God pours out his Spirit uh, into uh, his people, and he even connects this to uh, Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, and then with the, the pouring out uh, of the, 
uh, the, the Spirit, uh, the, the one who, uh, who gives us life, uh, who uh, raises us with, uh, with Christ. And, uh, and then lastly, I just want to point out, uh, he goes on to talk about uh, just showing that uh, while we were weak, while we were sinners, while we were unrighteous, that Christ, Christ died for us. And in light of this, uh, the, the, the hope that we, we have. So for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Showing God's love for, for us. Uh, we weren't good. We weren't righteous people. Someone might dare to die for a righteous uh, person. Uh, might put their life on the edge. But none of us were righteous. We were guilty and, and filthy uh, and, and rebels who rebelled and hated, hated God and hated the truth. Uh, so, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, his, his death, uh, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. So now he's saying in light of this justification we have, dying for us as sinners, as those who are weak, we'll be saved from the wrath uh, to come. God's future, future wrath. Uh, in the day of the Lord, in the day of judgment, we're not going to come under God's wrath and condemnation if our hope and trust uh, is in Christ. Uh, the God who has justified us, his wrath is not going to come, uh, come upon us uh, in, uh, in the, the, the final day. And so he goes on to explain it. He reiterates what he, what he is saying. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God, by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. And so, just using the, the language of uh, saying that, uh, that we were uh, justified in Christ, Christ died for us, but also this idea of reconciliation, no longer being enemies of God. While we were enemies, we were reconciled. And so is God going to... Uh, are, are, we going to, are we going to come under judgment now? No, we've been reconciled. We've been justified. We've been reconciled to God even while we were enemies, even while we were sinners. And so now, by, by faith uh, and hope and trust in God and in the grace that we stand, we're, we're not going to come under God's uh, final judgment. Uh, we're, we're not, uh, we will be saved by his life. We're, we're saved by his, reconciled by his death will be saved by his life. And he'll get back to this at the very end of Romans. Uh, who, who will make a charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies, who condemns. Christ Jesus, you know, who, who, is, uh, who died for us, who is raised. Uh, yeah, Dan. I just gonna say, so this is kind of a picture of justification is a, is a moment in time where we, we were reconciled to God. But mm-hmm. then this, this is a, to me, is a beautiful picture of the Lord being with us throughout our lives. Yeah, yeah. Until that final glorification period. But so, so in other words, we're our sanctification process is all through Him. Is what you're? I think what we're saying here. Is yeah, yeah. It's, it's the sanctification, even though 
we have to live our Christian life. We do it through His, the power of the Holy Spirit that's within us. Yeah, even in, even in our present mm-hmm. our present sufferings, you know, in, in struggles right. and in, in trials uh, in this uh, this life. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Yeah, that's, that's it. Wow, that's so much. Yeah. <laughs> so many. Uh, Sermon topics in that little this little section. Yeah, we'll we'll let Eric, you know, uh, do the <laughs> plot plot along. <laughs> you know, we're 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 uh, working on the the bigger picture a little bit. Yeah. In uh, when our we are branded with the Holy Spirit, our hearts are changed and we're born again. That that's the whole thing is uh, we've got new hearts, and the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. That is that encompassed right here in this chapter five and six yeah i, I think with uh god's love uh is, is poured uh into our hearts through his holy spirit that's part of the the whole package of this this grace and being raised to uh, to new life and the grace in which we stand that's all it's all empowered by by the holy spirit and then in later on in romans yeah chapter nine and ten mm-hmm. is when you confess the lord and believe in your heart Yeah, yeah. But I'm looking at this chapter 5 is where we're at right now. Yeah, yep. Uh, And so from chapter 5 to 8, he's going to really unpack just the implications of our justification. And uh, in light of, okay, we've been justified, now we have peace with God. We've been reconciled to God. We have entrance, you know, this is the beginning of our entrance by faith into the grace in which we stand. That's where we start. That's where we're, we're going to end. So we're students, uh, and so, yeah, excuse me, yeah. we're students and we're learning. Yeah. But we're already filled with the Holy Spirit that gives us all truths. And that's where we're at now. Yeah, and, and part of that is also uh, the, the Spirit. He's the very author of, of Scripture. You know, all Scripture is God, God breathed as the author of Hebrews he doesn't give too much credit to the the prophets and the the, biblical, the human authors. <laughs> Somewhere, uh, someone once said, you know, that, but a lot of times, you, other than vague expressions like that, you know, it, it was said somewhere once before by someone, you know. He, he'll say the, the Holy Spirit, like, expressly says, or thing, things like that, that the it's the, the Spirit speaking. And so the Spirit even, uh, well, with, with the gospel, uh, he teaches us so that, you can have unbelievers who they they can have a, a mental grasp of what you're saying. Okay, so you're saying to me that uh, there's a creator God, uh, that uh, I'm guilty before him for my sins, my lawless deeds, uh, and the consequences of that uh, is he's going to justly condemn me and send me to everlasting punishment for for my sins. And now, uh, the Jewish anointed king has, has come. Uh, the, the eternal son uh, came and, and took on humanity to, uh, to himself, took a human nature. Uh, and he lived the perfect life uh, and uh, died uh, to, to bear the sins and the condemnation uh, that uh, we all deserve for those who repent uh, in turn and trust in him. Uh, and, and, was, uh, and so he died and was raised for the dead to save all those who, who trust in him. And if I, don't, if I don't turn from my 
my sins and my lawless deeds and trust in him, I'll have to pay for my own sins. I'll be, I'll be guilty. You know, I'll, I'll go to hell. I, I won't be forgiven. Like they can, there are plenty of people who mentally grasp that, but as Paul says in uh, 1 Corinthians in the early chapters, well, to, to Greeks, it's foolishness. And, and to, uh, to, to Jews by, by nature, uh, it, it's, it's offensive. Uh, they, they don't want to hear the message of, of, I have to trust in the crucified and risen Jewish anointed king, the God-man. I, I have to trust in him, otherwise I'll, I'll be held guilty for, for my sins. Really? That, that's an offensive message to them. They, they, they can mentally grasp it. There are a lot of people who, who don't. But the Spirit, the Spirit uh, removes the blindness from our eyes so we see gospel, the good news, that's the power and wisdom of God. That, that's, you know, I, I, have, I, I put my trust in this. This is my only hope uh, in, uh, in, in, in this Savior, uh, in this, uh, this one who has uh, come. And so uh, just uh, to your point, in the gospel, you know, the, the Spirit uh, teaches us and shows us that the gospel is the very power and wisdom of God. He removes this, uh, this spiritual hardness, uh, this spiritual uh, rebellion against God so that we have soft hearts to, to, to believe in and to recognize this is the power and wisdom of God. But there, also with Scripture, you know, in our Christian life, uh, he also, he, he teaches us. He's the author of Scripture. And it, takes, it takes study. Uh, Paul even says to Timothy, you know, show yourself, uh, be diligent to show yourself approved, you know, accurately handling the word of God. Uh, but uh, it's the, the Spirit. And he uh, he. Uh, changes and renews our hearts and minds uh, so that uh, we can come to, to believe God's word and, uh, and to, to believe the truthfulness and trustworthiness and the, the power and wisdom uh, of, of God's word. And so, yeah, this is all part of the, uh, the, the ministry of the, the spirit. Is there any, anything else? That... Yeah, chapter 5 and in in verse 5. Mm-hmm. That's where it says that it's a gift the Lord God pours out the Holy Spirit as a gift to us. And that's before you become born again, because of what I meant was mm-hmm. later on in 9 and 10, and it talks about being born again. Yeah. Where if you confess the Lord and believe in your heart, you're saved. Yeah, the, that's, uh, it's really, you, you can't put like uh, so much, like a temporal relations on it yeah. uh, because uh, it's the, the spirit who, uh, who gives, uh, gives life. Uh, we're a regenerated, uh, made, made alive, made, uh, made new uh, through the, the Holy Spirit who imparts uh, divinely wrought faith to us. And so uh, all, of, all of those things are, you know, it's, it's work of the, of the spirit. And so uh, there's definitely, there's no such thing as someone who has repented and come to uh, to faith? Who then? Who doesn't have uh, the uh, the the spirit the spirit of God? And so, you, excuse me. Do you remember years ago, Kenneth Hagen and the Faith Ministry? Mm-hmm. This was way back when Souls Harbor was downtown Minneapolis. We went to the meeting, and we became born again Christians. There was a fellow there named, and then weeks later. 
this faith ministry come and they wanted to lay hands on you so mm. you get the yeah. Holy Spirit. Yeah. That was uh, that's what I was wondering. You know. Yeah, that's where the, that's where they talk about. I believe that comes out of Pentecostalism. Yeah. Uh, they talk about a second blessing. Yeah. Uh, and so. I mean, they're just confused. Being where they they kind of mix in be, being filled uh, with the Spirit is sort of this second blessing that yeah. someone has uh, in their their life, and uh, most of them, I think, connect it with speaking in tongues, by which they mean not not foreign languages, but ecstatic. Uh, nonsensical utterances, which are things that all pa- lots of pagan religions do through, throughout the world, throughout the centuries, throughout the uh, the, the millennium. So, yeah, that, that's yeah, I'd agree with you. That's definitely uh, not biblical. When Paul talks about being filled with the Spirit, like in Ephesians, right. yeah. Ephesians, I think it's into five, uh, maybe just before them, but I think into five. It's really talking about, you know, don't be, don't be drunk on wine, but be filled with the Spirit. So instead of being under the influence of, of wine, and this has been abused too, where people talk about being drunk with the Spirit. He doesn't say be drunk with the, the Spirit. It's amazing that the zaniness and just blasphemy that goes on, but, but being filled is to, be, uh, is to be under the influence the power uh, of the Spirit who uh, indwells us, and what that what that looks like, he unpacks it: singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody in your hearts, submitting uh, to one another, right. uh, which uh, which Christians do. And he even says, I'm trying to think, it's in uh, Colossians uh, where uh, be he says, "Let the word of God richly dwell in you." Be filled with the, the Spirit. Let the, let the Word of God richly dwell in you. The, the two are so close because the author is the, uh, the very uh, author of, of Scripture that you know, he, he teaches us uh, by, uh, by his, uh, his very Word. And so Paul uses the same sort, of, uh, same sort of language. Not that the Spirit is the Word, but he's the, he's the author of, of the Word. And when we have his Word uh, filling our hearts and, and minds... Uh, teaching, instructing us, uh, we're, you know, by by the grace of God and, and the power of the Spirit, we're we're under the Spirit's power uh, and His influence, and our our minds are are renewed, and we're uh, we're taught by by Him. And so, just getting back to uh, uh to Romans five, and if it takes a little longer, that's uh, that's okay. If we go one more week, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I, Mm-hmm. Too, but um, the whole order of salvation, you know, like where you know what what comes first is the the Holy Spirit come in us, and then do we, um, like Steve was saying, are we born again at that point? Yeah. Um, I just I, I remember hearing somebody say, you know, um, Psalm one ten verse three, where it says, "Your people will volunteer freely in the day of your power." And I've I've heard a different version of that, but basically. The Holy Spirit comes on us and basically changes our will, changes our will to desire Scripture, to desire you know the Psalms, mm-hmm. you know, doing those things. I remember stories of, uh, where Bob would say, you know, his was pretty dramatic. Where one day he was totally against Christianity, the next day, you know, for some people I don't think it's quite like that. Yeah. 
but it's it is it's an amazing thing. And I look back on my own life. I don't know. Mine's a little bit more, va- you know, as far as there's not this distinct mm-hmm. cut, because I always thought, oh, Jesus is is you know, mm-hmm. kind of the, the, the Doobie Brothers song. Jesus is just all right, you know. Yeah. He's, he's a good guy, you know, that type of That's thing. That's what I thought but, too. Yeah. But it's like there was definitely a difference when the Holy Spirit came, and I, I can't give you an exact date, but it was. Uh, mm-hmm. It changes the whole, the whole, the, your whole life Everything. because you realize how much of a sinner you are, yeah, and how on you know how the Lord, you know, saved me from you know from from my you know from my pride and whatever whatever else it was, knowing that that I was just a you know a terrible sinner that didn't deserve any of this. But yeah. Anyway, it's just the the whole order of salvation is. Um, you know, you, you know you're justified through the Holy Spirit, but how, you know, and then I, I understand the, the sanctification process where, you know, we have to live our Christian life, mm-hmm. but then the Lord is, is with us through that whole, and that's what I've been learning so much lately yeah. through, this, through this church and through you and through Eric and Bob. It's a, it's a, he, he just, didn't, just didn't come down and save us and say, okay, do your best now, and, you know, you're on, you know, yeah. on your own. But, you know, a lot of it's, you know, this synergy kind of thing, mm-hmm. whereas it's really, it is still, modern, you know, it's, it's the Lord Jesus, the Holy Spirit working in us in our life that brings us to our final glorification. Yeah, and, and uh, yeah, good, good word. Uh, just even there, I mean, we're talking about faith. It's the it's the spirit who who causes, who who brings about, who who imparts it. So it's certainly not that like faith comes first first, and then we have have the spirit. You know where the spirit isn't. You know there there's no there's no life. There's no no spiritual life, and he imparts that to us. And even the words like monergism and synergism, they're traditionally used for the discussion of uh, how many powers or wills bring about uh, regeneration, a new, a new, new life? Uh, and so, is it God giving you know His ninety nine percent, giving provenient grace, putting us back to like a neutral point? But God's provenient grace saves no one because it's up to the the creature to whether they'll respond or or uh, or resist a god's a god's grace uh, and so that one percent then becomes the decisive factor it's it's all in you know what what was the difference between uh between you know me and someone maybe who, who didn't come to believe you know what what be, between us what what was the difference was it was it god's sheer mercy and grace on a, a worthless miserable sinner or was it that God gave us 99%. God's 99% saves no one. And it was me. I, 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 I had the, the, deci- the deciding vote, and I, I decided to cooperate with God's grace, and other people didn't. Uh, and that, that's just not the, the biblical picture at all. And so monergism is to say that uh, this is a, is, is a work of God. God's, God's grace, uh, his, his work, when he determines to raise a sinner from death to life, it's efficacious. Uh, it has the effect 
that God intended uh, for it, and he doesn't need the creature to cooperate. Not that we don't come to believe and, and repent and, uh, and believe uh, by, by the work that God has, has done in us, but uh, it's, it's uh, God, his, uh, his, his very uh, will and power working in us by his spirit. It, it, ha- it has the effect that God intends for it to raise us from death to life. And so that's the difference between monergism and synergism. Is, it, is, it, is this all by grace alone? Or uh, is, it, is it a cooperative work where God does 99 or 50, 99, 99.999, whatever? But it's, it's me that's the, the deciding, uh, the, the ultimate decisive factor that's what that's what synergism is, and then it's it's man. It's not it's not all by grace alone, but a man has uh, man ultimately ultimately uh, determines. It was something in him. He was different from uh, from all all the uh, the rest. And but then when you get to uh, issues of uh, and so th- then like in sanctification, and not talking about like positional sanctification. You were sanctified. You were consecrated to God. You know when we when we came to believe and came to life, we we belong to God. We're His His holy holy people. Uh, even sometimes some of the Corinthians weren't acting like it, but for those who were true believers, they they were God's holy people. They were consecrated unto Him. So you you get these past, present, future. You were sanctified. You're being sanctified in this life. You will be sanctified. You know, at our glorification, when, uh, when it's, uh, it's perfected, when it reaches its completion. Uh, and there, we are called to, you know, as we we're talking about, work out your salvation with, with fear and trembling. Uh, and even Paul says, uh, by, by the grace of God, I am what I am. His grace toward me did not prove vain. Uh, in fact, I... I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God in me. <laughs> and so he really did, he did make an effort. He really did strive. But then he has to say at the end of the day, it was all of God. That's the only reason, that's the only reason I strove. It, it was all of, all of grace. And so there, there is this, whereas in regeneration, yeah, we ought to circumcise our hearts, but we can't do it. You know, we, we need God's, God's spirit. Uh, but in sanctification, we, we are called uh, to, uh, to strive and strive together for the gospel and work out your salvation with fear and trembling. But then, for is God who is at work in you? And so someone to say, well, it's, it's and I don't think we should use the terms margism and synergism here because it, it'll lead to confusion because now you have to redefine the terms and it, it leads to a lot of confusion. Someone to say, it's monergistic in the sense that it's all of God. It's all of it's all of grace. Uh, and that's true. It is all of God. It, it is uh, all of grace. I mean, ultimately, at the, at the end of the day, it, uh, anything that we do uh, is all by the grace of God, and, and we have to give all glory to Him. But then, someone say, but, but, uh, but it's 
it's not exactly the same because here we are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And so there is something that we're, we're called to do here. And so there is this sort of synergism. And it's, either way, you're going to get in trouble because as D. Carson said, you can't say it's like 50-50, you know, 50% God, 50% me, you know, now that, now that I'm justified. It's all of grace. And in light of that, we're called to work out our salvation in fear and trembling. You know, this is what motivates us. This is what empowers us uh, to, to do so. And so I, I think the, the terms monergism and synergism uh, can, in both cases, I think they, they, they can cause confusion if you take it away from the discussion of regeneration can uh, cause confusion, lead people into to ditches, you know. Yeah. God is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Yeah. So you're, when the Holy Spirit comes in you, you're mm-hmm. diligently seeking. Yeah. And if you can sometime or other elaborate on that. Yeah, well, well you, now, but, uh, you know. yeah, uh, maybe we can look sometime, but there are also some texts where you read about things like that. And it, there's this irony, God rewards us, he, 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 he re- rewards us, you know, trusting in, uh, in him and holding fast and enduring and, uh, and such. And yet, it was all by grace that we even did those things. And so, God, uh, it's a work of God's grace, and then he rewards us, you know, <laughs> which, again, is just, it's, it's all by his grace. He's, he's, he's basically rewarding us for what he's wrought in us. Is that which elect? Into view. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's uh, part of it. From the way before, yeah, before the foundation of of the the world. Certain people that were the elect. Yeah, or were like you read in Ephesians, yeah. and he gets into Romans eight. You know, who will bring a charge against God's elect? You know, those whom he foreknew. He also predestined. Foreknowledge there. It's drawing from like Jeremiah and such. Be, you know, uh, before. Uh, you were in like your mother's womb, you know, before you were born, I knew you and consecrated you as my prophet. There's a choice. There's, there's, it's a loving choice on God's part. You can almost, you can almost say those whom God foreloved uh, before where there's this, uh, this, uh, this relationship uh, that he enters into and he, uh, he foreknew Jeremiah, not just, not just looking at down, as James uh, or White is uh, wont to say, looking down the corridors of time, you know, as if they're independent of, of God and God's purpose. You know, God's the author of history, uh, ultimately. But just kind of looking down the corridors of time, seeing, oh, there's going to be a prophet named, named Jeremiah. And so God just, well, you know, well, that's cool. You know, and so, you know, before you're, you're in your mother's womb, I, I knew you. And, and then I, I consecrated you as my prophet because I, I saw like, oh, this will be my prophet. I guess I'll consecrate him. But, you know, he, he uses this language where there's, there's this, it's, uh, it's relational. And sometimes like in Hebrew, Hebrew and such, but we can do it in English as well, where it's, it's relational. It's, it's, Personal, God knowing his people, God knowing his prophet and consecrating him, setting him apart for, for himself to be yeah, his, his spokesman. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, yeah, the, the, the elect before the, the foundation of the world where there, there are those 
uh, on whom, you know, unworthy, uh, unrighteous sinners that, that God uh, determined that he would have mercy on, that they didn't deserve. Everyone deserved, sinners deserve only God's justice. I mean, even God, as God's creatures, even if we had never sinned, we can't claim anything from God. God doesn't owe us anything. He made it all. For from him and through him and to him are all things. Uh, he, he's, he's the source. They, they all belong uh, to, to him. But then as, as sinners, we deserve nothing. And uh, he determined to have, have mercy on, on, a, on a people and to, uh, to choose them, to uh, unite them uh, in, in his son. He, he talks about that. I mean, it's it, one of the most amazing passages through uh, the first chapter of Ephesians, where it's just all these blessings in the heavenly places in Christ. And he starts all the way back at election, uh, and, and goes goes forward to all these things, and and we experience those things uh, in time, like as James Way has spoken about, where we we don't know that we're we're the elect until God God redeems us and puts a spirit in us and brings us to faith, and and we come to know by by His Word. And a lot of times when we come to have you know maybe a simple trust in Christ and the gospel? Well, it takes more to, to learn about, you know, how exactly God worked all those things uh, things out. Uh, and that's how it worked out for for me. I, I, you know, I was kind of like you. Uh, and some of those things also, you, you have to be careful. We'll have to get back to the text, but uh, <laughs> it's okay. You know, I like the discussion. But you have to be careful that uh, when it when it comes to uh, let's see, oh, I just lost my thought. Um, Progression. Yeah, the issue of like assurance. There, there is something to with with scripture that we we grow in the knowledge of God. We grow in the knowledge of His Word, um, and so conversion. It is a radical thing. I mean, there, there's there is a dramatic change in in someone's life when uh, they turn from their sins and their idolatry and throw themselves uh, Christ's feet for, for mercy and put their trust and hope only uh, only in him. I mean, uh, conversion is not something where there's no change. However, we're still not perfected in this life. And sometimes we're, we're coming to understand the gospel and such. And you have to be careful not to give people... You don't want to take away people's assurance uh, if, you know, biblical assurance. You know, point them to God's word uh, so that they, they'd have and grow in biblical assurance of their faith and hope and trust uh, in Christ. But you also don't want to give false assurance. Oh, you prayed a prayer. You signed a card. Congratulations, you're a Christian. You know, uh, you, you have eternal life. Uh, there are whole movements like that where someone just gives mental assent. That's it. You know, you're you're in. Uh, they they kind of leave out the the whole whole repentance thing. It's a supernatural work by by the Spirit. Um, and so, I've talked with like a lot of people. They'll say, "Well, I was saved at a young age. I was saved. You know, they might have a day or or an age or a month or whatever. And then you know, I, I grew up and I went and lived like a devil." And then God brought me back. 
And so, you know, I believe I, w- I was always a believer that, that God had uh, regenerated me at that time and I came to believe. But scripture says, if you then go and there's, you know, this period of your life, you go and live like a devil. You, you don't have reason for insurance, assurance to say that, that I, came to, I came to faith. Uh, you know, if, if there's really, you know, long period of your life, there, there are people, I went for, you know, years and lived like a devil and, you know, didn't have interest in God's word and uh, the people of God and such. Scripture does not give assurance there. And so we should not, there, sometimes there's this desire to say, God saved me on this exact day, you know, uh, this year, this month, this day. But we, we, we have to be careful uh, to have a biblical uh, view of, of conversion and then uh, assurance over time. I mean, it, it's something that uh, we can even, we, we grow into uh, over, uh, over time as we see God, God at work and as we, uh, we hear and come to understand the gospel better and, and we're taught by, uh, by, by God's word. And so you have to be very careful because people can really, uh, you, you don't want to give you don't want to take away genuine assurance, but you don't want to give false assurance to people. And I've heard it a lot of times. I was saved as a little child and then, you know, became a teenager in my early 20s and such. I was just a devil. I lived, I lived for, for sin. And um, not that that's funny, but it's just, it's, the, not, it's not consistent. And if God brings you to repentance and faith, say, you know, and then I came to assurance you know, as, as God brought me, brought me out of, out of that. Uh, so we, we have to watch out uh, for, uh, for that. And so, yeah, here, this, this hope that we're seeing from uh, Romans 5, now that we're justified, uh, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Uh, we we re- rejoice in our present sufferings. Uh, and then uh, he's uh, been talking about uh, but God chose his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Uh, verse 9. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life, this future hope. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So we rejoice or, or boast, as I was saying last week, if you want something to boast about, here are three things. Uh, you, can, you can boast in the hope of the glory of God, this, this future hope that we have, the, the fullness of God's uh, promises and blessings of salvation. Uh, the, we, we rejoice uh, even in the midst of our present sufferings, uh, and uh, more than that, uh, verse 11, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. And so this boast, this hope, he's now going to turn and, and show uh, that uh, what Christ's work has, has done in comparison uh, with the work of the first man, uh, through the first man, sin and condemnation and death came into the world and spread to all, uh, all men, uh, Jew, Gentile, 
And the law came and increased the transgression. Uh, and here he's going to get into a comparison showing that Christ's work undoes this. Uh, he undoes the reign of sin, condemnation, and death that came through the first man, Adam, and brings about the reign uh, of grace, righteousness, and life. Uh, undoing this, this, this old reign and rule uh, over the earth uh, to this new reign, which will uh, ultimately end up uh, in uh, with believers glorified uh, and, and heirs, adopted sons and daughters uh, inheriting the, the new heavens and the new earth. And so this reign has been inaugurated and God's going to bring it to its uh, completion. Is this where it talks about the law being the schoolmaster, or isn't in? It's not in this part. Oh, he talks about that in Galatians in chapter Galatians, chapter three. Yeah, okay. yeah. We were talking about the law. Although we'll get to some similar uh, things. Yeah. And now we we spent a lot of time on this uh, first part last week, uh, so I'm going to go through a bit bit more quickly on some things I, w I won't be able to uh, go into and support as much. But if you're interested, I really uh, recommend listening to that. And we went some uh, neat stuff on corporate solidarity in uh, Matthew 23 and such. Um, and so now he's going to start with this uh, comparison to set up uh, this contrast with, with Adam, what his work did. Now Christ's work uh, undoes it and what his does. But he's going to get away from this comparison, as we're going to see. But he'll get, he'll get back to it. Uh, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. Uh, now, last week, uh, we were showing, uh, it was basically uh, building on what uh, Eric did recently. Uh, he covered a great deal on uh, original sin and covered so many different views. Uh, and so uh, I've been like talking with him and such. And I was showing that Adam's sin here is not just a matter of imputation, but also participation. Uh, people, sinners who followed him uh, with uh, corporate solidarity, you have two sides to the coin, and they're not co-equal. Uh, Adam, as Paul's going to show, his position uh, was unique uh, as the head of humanity, uh, as the first man uh, in the garden, uh, who uh, was, God had created him sinless. Uh, he hadn't, he hadn't uh, sinned uh, at that point. So he's going to show Adam's work uh, was unique. But with corporate solidarity, you have the ideas of identification, uh, but not just imputation of Adam's sin, guilt, and condemnation, but participation. Uh, his progeny walks in, walks in his ways, uh, sharing in the, the corruption, the sin, the guilt, uh, and then the, uh, the condemnation uh, as well. Uh, and even as Paul, this is the first time he gets to Adam. Uh, in the first chapters, he showed uh, all of mankind, Jew and Gentile, are 
universally sinful and universally guilty, and they'll be judged by their works. And even Gentiles who, who don't exactly have the law, they're still a law unto themselves. God has given them a conscience as imperfect as it is, as seared as it becomes, uh, and all God has to do is put their conscience on trial. They're guilty. They haven't even lived up to the conscience that God has, has given them. And so he starts with a comparison. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man. So introduction of sin and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. And I'd say here, some take all sinned as just, they only sinned in Adam. It's just a matter of imputation. Uh, but I, I don't think so. Uh, in fact, keep, keep reading. Well, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For, uh, he, he goes on to explain this issue of, okay, there was sin. There was sin in the world. Death spread to them. But he, he's going to show that Adam's, uh, Adam's unique. So, explaining, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. And notice, yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. Is Paul saying that they didn't sin? Well, they did sin even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam. They did sin, but not in the exact same way Adam did. Not in the exact, uh, in the exact same position as Adam did. Uh, he's showing the uniqueness of Adam, the uniqueness of the first man, to set up this, uh, this uh, contrast and comparison uh, with uh, Christ. Uh, Adam had a unique position, and by his sin... Sin entered into the world, and death through sin. And so death spread to all men, uh, because all sin. Uh, wa- uh, walking in his, his ways, they, they share uh, in his corruption, in his sin, in his guilt, in his condemnation. Uh, Paul's even shown uh, the universal sinfulness uh, and guiltiness of, of all men, that, that people have sinned. And we're, we're going to see it more in the subsequent chapters uh, as well. But as he explains this, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. So before the law, sin was in the world. It entered into the world. Uh, At Sinai, uh, there are even these thousands of years that sin was in in the world. As people uh, sinned and and lived and uh, even got so bad uh, that God wiped out pretty much all of humanity in a flood. uh, Because the Thoughts of the intentions of man's heart were only evil continuously. And so he wiped them all out uh, in, in a flood, except for eight. Uh, Noah uh, and his wife and uh, his sons and his three sons and their wives. Uh, and even with Sodom and Gomorrah later, God said that the, the, fo- the sin of the Canaanites wasn't complete. Another 400 years until the fullness of their sin. As God's patience waited, he even saved some Canaanites. And yet Sodom and Gomorrah got so bad, he wiped them out because of the wickedness and the sinfulness of the, the men of Sodom. Uh, and Moses and Ezekiel, and you know, they, they 
talk about uh, all, of, all of these things. And so he's saying sin indeed was in the world before uh, the law was given. In fact, Paul's argument before has, uh, has shown this. Uh, it, was, it was all based on this uh, from general revelation uh, that they know God. They know that they're, they're guilty of these things and that they've sinned. But not only do they do the same, but they give hearty approval to those who do likewise. Uh, so sin w- was indeed in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. And here, uh, we'll be talking about this more when we get to like chapter 7. But this is bound up with, uh, even like he said in like chapter 3, God passed over sins previously committed. Uh, where the, there's this passing over. There, there are different ways he'll use this expression. Uh, he'll talk about Christ fulfilling, bringing an end to the law, so that where there's no law, there's no condemnation because they're released from the, uh, the curse of the, the Torah. Uh, however, this has to do with a legal reckoning where you basically have a black and white where the law comes. Yeah, people have consciences, but as Paul is going to say at the end of this chapter and then chapter 7, the law came to increase the transgression. Not that it wasn't there. He's saying sin was there. It came to increase the transgression. Uh, he'll talk about if it wasn't for the law, I wouldn't have known. Uh, I, I wouldn't have known you shall not covet. And so, you know, maybe, maybe Paul is, is a sinner uh, in, in Jews and, and such uh, can, can get away with uh, coveting and not think much of it. Uh, not that it's not sinful, but when the law comes along and says, you shall not covet, and if you do, you'll come under a curse uh, in judgment and condemnation uh, and be separated from God's presence, his provision, uh, from his blessing. Now suddenly, uh, it becomes very clear. I wouldn't have known, you know, uh, do, do not covet, uh, if, if God had not said, you shall not covet. Uh, it, makes it, uh, it makes it very clear. Uh, and he even says that uh, right after that, uh, he says uh, that uh, the law, uh, you know, did, did what is good, the law, bring death to me? No, uh, it was sin. Uh, so that sin might be shown to be sinful beyond measure. It's shown what it is. Uh, the law puts, puts a, a glaring spotlight on it. Not that people didn't sin before, but when the law comes, uh, it gives very a clear uh, expression of right and wrong, a very clear dividing line. Uh, of, uh, of all the trees of the garden, you may freely eat. Eating you may eat. Above the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat from it. Uh, for in the day that you eat of it, Dying, you shall die. You shall surely die. It's clear line in the sand. And if, if you do this, here's what's going to happen. You're going to die. Uh, you're you're going to pay, uh, pay the, the penalty. And so he uses this language in different ways in the, uh, the preceding chapters. Uh, and then in what follows, uh, it has to do uh, with this reckoning uh, where when the law comes, uh, becomes very uh, the contrast becomes very black and white uh, and stark, and it increases uh, the transgression, uh, and it makes clear uh, what sin is. Even things like coveting, you can't get away with uh, with that anymore, uh, and it shows sin to be sinful beyond measure. Not just that it's sinful, but it's 
uh, it's sinful beyond measure and they can't keep God's law apart from, uh, from God's spirit. And so he's explaining, for sin indeed was in the world before the law. You know, don't misunderstand. Uh, there was sin throughout, uh, throughout this, uh, this time. But sin is not counted uh, where uh, there is no law. Or uh, even uh, some have like imputed or, or assessed. Uh, but yeah. On that one, <clears throat> when, when you say it's not counted, I, I go back to like Romans 1 where the, um, you know, let's say you're, you're dealing with someone that, that's not familiar with the law. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the Lord has given every man a conscience to know, you know, right and wrong. Yeah. So that, where does that tie in? You know, so in, in other words, it's counted, I would think it's counted in our conscience yeah. that we've been done wrong. Absolutely. Well, the, yeah, Paul, Paul even condemns the Gentiles in chapter 1 right. on that very basis uh, and even drawing into chapter 2 where he so talks about the law, right. you know, even though they don't have the law, the, the Torah, right. and even summarized like in the Ten Commandments uh, or even summarized more in you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and your neighbor as yourself, you know, in the, the, uh, the, the greatest and the second uh, greatest uh, commandment. And so they're guilty for that until even get into chapter 3. Uh, therefore, are, are we better off, you know, Jews? No, not at all. For as we've said, you know, all are guilty. He talks about uh, under the law. No one is good. No, not one. You know, no one seeks for God. Uh, and goes through that whole, whole list and even concludes that the, the law, no one will be justified uh, by it. Uh, it shuts their mouths. It shows that they're accountable uh, to uh, to God, and, and no one will be justified uh, through uh, through the law for uh, or before sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. And even even then, uh, when he says that it's only through faith in Christ, for all have sinned and uh, fallen short of the of the glory of God. He hasn't mentioned Adam yet. He's he's dealing with the past argument that he's been making. Humanity is universally sinful and guilty. Uh, and so, even without the, the law, but there, there's a sense in which when the law comes, where even things, you know, it increases uh, the, the transgression. Uh, and even things like covetousness, things you might be able to get away uh, as a sinner with a seared conscience and not think much of. When God says, you shall not covet, and to do so is idolatry and the penalty for that is death. There, there's a change. And even talk about God passed over transgressions previously committed. And when you go from like Abraham's time, giving of the law at Sinai, as Erica has spoken about, uh, with the giving of the law, 3, 000, about 3,000 perished with the giving of the law in, in their idolatry. They broke it. As Moses was even coming down with the tablets of stone, they had already broken basically the entire law and were in idolatry, making the golden calves. And he throws the, the stones uh, to, to the ground, uh, the, the commandments. They're, they're broken, they're shattered uh, by uh, the people. 3,000 perished. Uh, and then as you go uh, through their wilderness wanderings, you get to the end of that period well, 
uh, all of the, uh, the, the men, uh, the spies went out, 12 of them, and 10 of them came back giving a bad report. The guy even says, you've disobeyed me these 10 times. Okay, for along with the, the Ten Commandments. They, they, they've broken uh, the, the covenant, uh, the, the entire thing. And they came and gave back a bad report. And so all of the, all of the men, uh, I think it was over the age of 20, I, I believe, uh, they were all to perish in the wilderness. Uh, none of those men, you know, of this evil generation shall enter, but your children shall enter. I'll appoint Joshua, he'll bring them in. And then, like, of, of the spies and such, Caleb, he'll enter. He'll go in. He had a different spirit. He and Joshua. Which spirit is that? It's God's spirit that uh, the, uh, they, they had. Uh, and even, and so, you know, the, the spies don't enter. Uh, Caleb enters. Uh, and then uh, the, uh, the, the men who, who went in anyway uh, without Yahweh when he said, don't go in. I'm not going to give them into your hands. And they all died in the wilderness. I'll appoint Joshua, you bring your children into the land. And then Moses struck the rock twice, didn't honor God as holy before the people. Prophet who knew God face to face. There's not been a prophet like Moses uh, knowing God face to face for all the signs and wonders and miracles that uh, he did through him. It goes on at the end of like Deuteronomy. Prophet who knew God face to face, you will see it with your eyes, but you shall not enter into the land. Something about his anger. He was angry with the yep. people. Yep, yep. And he, he even, there, there's a bitterness in Deuteronomy where Moses is blaming the people. You know, it's, it's because of you that, you know, I can't, I can't go. And I, I struck the rock because of you. And so he, he, Moses is a believer. You know, he, he's not going to fall under God's ultimate condemnation and judgment. You know, he's through Christ, he's going to enter into the promised land one day. You know, he's going to enter into the millennial kingdom, the new heavens and the new earth. However, at that time, uh, under the Mosaic covenant, the the old covenant given at Sinai, Mount Horeb, even a prophet who knew God face to face could not enter into the land. And if God had not appointed Joshua in Moses' place, you won't go and encourage Joshua. He'll bring the people in. God had to appoint Joshua. He had to appoint Caleb. And these, these people who rebelled against him, I mean, it, it, it's almost, okay, your children are going to go in. It's, it's because of God's grace. It's because he promised, and Deuteronomy reminds again, it's not because of your righteousness that I'm giving you this land. It's not because you were bigger and stronger than all the peoples. You were the least of them. You know, it's because of their unrighteousness and because I loved your fathers and promised that I would give this land to their offspring after them. That's why they, they enter in. And then, uh, just to make it, uh, make, make it more, and this is part of where the expectations are building. You have these corporate offices for judge, for king, for priest, for prophet. And they weren't just, they weren't just restricted to just leap over the thousands of years, ignore the Davidic dynasty, just Jesus. They culminate in the ultimate, you know, the, the ideal one to come. Because sinners could not could not bring about the fullness of God's blessings and promises of salvation. He promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to you I will give this land. 
and all they got was a little plot, Cave of Machpelah in the field of Mamre, as a tomb to be buried in. To you, I would give this land. You know, he's going to restore his, bring the, the fullness of his blessing and provision and presence and rule to his people, to the nations, to reign uh, and live, to, to have a, a reign that's universal in its extent over all the earth forevermore, to restore all of his blessing and provision and presence uh, to, uh, to the heavens and, and the earth for, forevermore. And so, how about, how about David and Solomon? Uh, David, now Saul was in the line of Benjamin. The kingship was to be of Judah uh, in Genesis uh, uh, 40, 49. It uh, belonged to, to Judah. Uh, and David was a man after God's own heart. And yet, he's sin had, had an affair with Bathsheba, and then made it worse. Had uh, Uriah, you know, after getting him drunk and such, a uh, man who who trusted in Yahweh and feared Him, uh, he had him killed on the front lines. He became became a murderer. I mean, David basically violated the entire two tables uh, of the covenant, the the Ten Commandments, uh, and he was a believer. Uh, he, uh, if I was doing some reading and such, that maybe as much as even a year. Uh, there, there's time that went by, and Nathan the prophet confronted him and brought him to repentance uh, in, in faith. But it did bring God brought temporal punishment uh, in in time in this life, uh, chastisement, discipline. Uh, yep, on on David on the on the family, not not eternal, but uh, his. Uh, his first son uh, raped uh, his uh, his sister. I'm trying to remember uh, his uh, his name. Uh, sometimes it's it's uh, you know I have it right right at, at command. Uh, well, Absalom was his third. Adonijah was the second, uh, and uh, the first. Uh, uh, anyway, you know I can put in the the notes. Uh, but the, the first raped his sister Tamar. Uh, David didn't really do anything about it, uh, perhaps because it was his firstborn. That's where the, the dynasty is to, to continue. And this was after God had made his covenant with David, securing an everlasting dynasty, an everlasting throne and kingdom forevermore. And then these things uh, transpire uh, after, after this, after God has, has given him these blessings and se- secured the, the kingdom for him. Um, and then, so Absalom, in vengeance, kills David's firstborn. And then uh, Absalom uh, eventually uh, leads to, he goes into exile, comes back, eventually almost leads to civil war. Uh, he ends up uh, dying uh, in, in rebellion. Uh, and then, skip it, skip for a moment, with Bathsheba, his firstborn, God took his life. And God, God, everyone, I think even Eric was talking about this, but everyone has one life to give. All sinners will die. All people will die. And so God can take a life at, before birth or in old age. God can, can take a life in, in his providence. Now, it doesn't justify when men do wickedness and take people's lives unjustly. But 
His, his, his firstborn with Bathsheba died. But the secondborn, he, he shall be uh, to me as a son, and I shall be to him as a father. Uh, Solomon, uh, and he, he named him, uh, I think it's basically Yedidiah, beloved of the Lord. God named him. Yahweh named him, beloved of the, the Lord. He shall be to me as a son, I shall be to him as a father. He even goes on. And when he, when he sins, I'll punish him with the strokes of men and uh, the, the, the rods of men. Temporal punishment, but my lo- steadfast love shall not turn from him. Unlike Saul, as D.A. Carson says, didn't get to the second generation. God will ensure that the Davidic dynasty will remain. Uh, and so through all this turmoil that came, then Adonijah sought to take the throne at the end of David's life. Uh, and he, he did it with uh, Joab, uh, the, the wayward uh, general, uh, who was often very wicked in his dealings and underhanded. Uh, and also with the, uh, the, the prophet uh, Abijah, who is a descendant of Eli, the wicked prophet, with the two, two sons who were, I think, even sleeping with women and, and taking the, the fat and such from the sacrifices, not giving, giving it to God, even though God gave them. He was their portion. They, they shared in his sacrifices. That wasn't enough for them. And so uh, Abijah, Joab, this, this general, Abijah the priest, uh, and Adonijah, David's secondborn, tried to seize the throne for themselves but God's king, beloved of the Lord, Solomon, Nathan the prophet, his prophet, uh, and uh, his prophet Zadok, who goes back to, to Eliezer and Phinehas, whom he gave his everlasting priestly covenant. Zadok, who's his anointed, uh, his, his anointed priest of that time. Uh, and so there, uh, he preserves this blessing. And just hold that thought for one moment. And so David, who who was a man after God's own heart, sinned and brought all this turmoil upon his kingdom, upon his family, upon the nation. Solomon, who was the wisest man who had ever lived. <laughs> you know, if anyone's going to, you know, bring about the everlasting promises and blessings of God, you know, how about the wisest man who ever lived who's the beloved of the Lord? You know, that, that'd, be pretty, that'd be pretty good. Uh, well, Solomon ended up falling into idolatry and even, you know, there's maybe some indication that he repented at the end of his life. But the nation was torn uh, with his son, as a result of that, was torn into uh, the, the kingdom. Yep, yep. Uh, uh, Rehoboam, he uh, torn into, and you have this, this devastation. God preserves a lamp for David. He preserves his offspring. Uh, you, you know, his offspring will, will always uh, be on the throne. Your kingdom will be forever. But eventually, uh, with the northern kingdom, uh, Israel, 722 B.C., they're finally destroyed. And then finally in 586, Judah, you know, they're, they're cut off. Uh, and he even said with, uh, uh, with uh, the, I'm trying to think of, uh, oh, who is, uh, not Zedekiah, but uh, right, uh, right before him, uh, uh Jehoahaz, or uh, anyway, um, they cast off his uh, signet ring from him. He went to exile, and yet God preserved the Davidic line. And as a reading recently, I remember I read this in the the Bible, and then uh, uh, there's something on I think it was like God Answers uh, on on the web uh, that uh, reminded me that with uh, with the the governor 
uh, who, uh, who uh, com comes out. Um, uh, well, you have uh, Ezra and Nehemiah. Uh, Nehemiah. Anyway, uh, he, he puts his signet ring back on. He preserves the Davidic line. But here, uh, here God's promises in the law, you see, you know, the prophet who knew God face to face can't enter the land. David, who is a man after God's own heart, uh, the, the, the king, uh, Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived. The fullness of God's blessings and promises could not come under this law. As D.A. Carson has said, just even looking at the kingship, but if you go back in the Torah, Yahweh has to fulfill it. He's the only perfectly righteous judge and king and priest and prophet and shepherd and savior uh, of his people. And so he has to fulfill these things. It's even the angel of Yahweh who brought, brought them out of Egypt in, into the land. And so he has to fulfill it. And there are only two options. Uh, either the Davidic line, you have a series forever of only righteous offspring ad infinitum. And still you need, you need, you know, you need uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to inherit the land too. And, you know, resurrection and such. And that doesn't even work. Or you have the righteous one who lives and reigns forever. Uh, and, and so just the, the, this law, just to illustrate what the law did, 3,000 died there and not even, you know, Moses couldn't, couldn't enter. There, there is this, this, this shift. And then with the new covenant, outpouring of spirit, Zerika spoke about 3,000 were, were saved. Uh, Dan, did, did you uh, have something? Well, I, just you're talking there. And just it's... The doctrine of election is even so obvious in all that you just said. I mean, Absolutely. Why did God save Moses for his sin or save David for his sins? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, what? so in other words, what you're saying is the, the, the only way we can come to the, the promised land is mm -hmm. through the righteousness of Christ. Absolutely. That's the only, that's, that was true in the Old Testament also. Yeah, yeah. They were they were looking at the future. They were they were they believed in the promises of God. Yeah. Even though they were sinners like the rest of us. Absolutely. And that's the only reason they they, they were saved. Yeah, not because of your righteousness, but because I, I you know I loved your fathers. <laughs> you know I, I promised to them uh, to give give their their offspring, and he chose he, he chose them. We're it's like wherever it says in the New Testament where we're. The sin of man is is gotten worse and worse and worse mm -hmm. as we get further away from the beginning of time. Yeah. You know? and it's like that's why we should be so much more, even even more so, grateful to God for our salvation because we're we're probably much more wicked than they were back. Then. And we're we're filling we're filling up the sin yeah. and guilt and condemnation, judgment of our fathers, and right. God will not tolerate it. Forever, and we we share in their sin, and that's. And if uh, Christ is the only way, the only reason why we're. Absolutely, we're, yeah, and Christ. Uh, just last thought, since we're out of time, sure. uh, just also to to remember that Christ and Messiah, I mean, they, they mean anointed, uh, in, in Hebrew and in Greek. And so they're looking for the ideal anointed, and so there's there's a certain continuity with God's anointed, uh, judge. King, priest, prophet, but looking for the, the ideal uh, anointed. 
God himself, you know, God in the flesh to come and fulfill all these things. And so part of that is understanding that when we, we recognize the word anointed, you know, if you can't say David was God's Messiah, it, it shows how we use the word Messiah. We, we don't fully, we're, we're using it in a way that they didn't quite use it. But Christ as the anointed, uh, the, the ultimate anointed, individually and corporately, he fulfills all these offices for the nation, for the people. Uh, and one day they'll reign and rule with, uh, with, with him because of all that he's done, you know, all by, all by, by grace and through faith uh, in, in him and in God and his promises. And uh, even as Paul says, right, uh, at the end of chapter 4, uh, but the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our, our Lord. You know, trusting in, in God and even recognizing uh, the messenger of Yahweh right there. Not just a messenger, the messenger. You have the second person of the Trinity right there leading them, leading them uh, you know, on the, on the exodus out of Egypt bringing them into the promised land. He'll go before you. He's your rear guard. You know, he is, he is Yahweh. And when you start to recognize these things, suddenly it will open up the Torah in a way uh, that, you know, you, you don't have to superficially find him in there. Because he's Yahweh. He's the one who fulfills all, all these, uh, all these uh, promises and blessings and no one, no one else uh, could, could do it. And so let's just close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you uh, for your word and thank you for time together and just to think about the, the gospel, uh, to think about the justification uh, that we have in your son uh, as a result of the peace that we have, uh, the reconciliation. Uh, you're no longer our enemy, but uh, you are our, our friend and uh, you adopt us into your family and uh, we have uh, everlasting hope and uh, your future glory, uh, and in uh, even in the, the very midst of our sufferings. And so I pray that uh, these things would weigh heavily on our hearts and minds and uh, that uh, we'd be filled with uh, gratitude and uh, hope and trust and uh, boasting uh, in, in you uh, through your Son uh, and that uh, you'd conform us to his likeness. And so we thank you for all these things and pray in his name. Amen.